Welcome to the Keep Cool Show, the podcast in which we cover how cutting-edge climate technologies connect to the world in which we live. I'm your host, Nick Van Ostel. Are satellite imagery and drone imagery pretty complementary technologies, or is there some competition at times between, you know, like, okay, we're going to just buy it from a satellite imagery provider? I would say yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. There is, of course, competition. Maybe more... <sighs> Satellite guys don't feel bad about it. Not what I'm going to say now, but <laughs> but maybe more on the sat- the envyness on the satellite side because uh, we drone data is obviously becoming more easier to get and definitely cheaper. Having said that, comes the complementary part because I tend to like to say that it is definitely complementary because again the difference is that like the normal good satellite data resolution is somewhere between 50 centimeters and 30 centimeters. That's already really good comes with a price tag, of course. Yeah. What we do with the drone is one to two centimeters. So depending on what you want to do is we can get really down down to the centimeter level, what the satellite companies cannot do. But if you have a large area need, it makes no sense to start going it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks with a drone if the resolution is not so important for you. Where it becomes really valuable when you combine these two Marku, welcome to the Keep Cool Show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Nick. Pleasure to be here. Calling in all the way from Finland. That's the first time we've had someone from uh, a guest from Scandinavia. So I'm excited about that too. <laughs> the high north, yes, indeed. <laughs> to dive right in, you're someone who I see is very knowledgeable and experienced in kind of the hardware side of the drone industry. Talk to us a little bit about how you got started in that and then how that ultimately led you to come to Globy. So yeah, getting into the drone world was kind of coincidence. I came with a background in the military. And after that, having worked in the, the Finnish diplomatic community in the Balkans. Mm. And when I went back to Austria, where I was living at the time, there's uh, one of the still the global market leaders in Beetle drones residing. And they ended up hiring me because of this background. I knew the military side and I knew the governmental side. Mm. And since they were catering a lot to these type of customers, it seemed like a perfect fit. So anyway, I ended up working nine years for Schiebel Aircraft there in Austria, traveling the world. When I then moved back to Finland, took a bit of a break, worked in the defense industry for a few years. But then kind of touching back on drones, I joined uh, critical infrastructure inspections together with Sharper Shape here in, here in Finland. Yeah. And um, while there, got to know Globy, and one thing led to the other. So been now with Globy. I haven't been there for that long, five months now. Okay. Um, yeah, and so for folks listening in, we might as well dive right in and kind of describe what Globy does for them briefly, and then we can go deeper. So how do you, you know, when your friends ask you what you're doing at Globy now after you've had all these other jobs in the past, how do you describe it to them? It's actually quite easy what we do. <laughs> um, Globy is the world's first crowd droning platform. Hmm. Based with the mission of leading organizations to make better decisions with data. What this means is we have a platform. The platform has currently about 6,500 operators mm. spread out in 130 countries in the world. And how it works is that a client who needs data, drone data, mm-hmm. connects to our platform, requests the data, and then we link that to the closest and most uh, capable drone pilot. Got it. Which basically means that it's a drone pilot who resides mostly in the country, in the vicinity of where the data needs to be collected. And that already quite clear of the advantages. It's easy to collect. I mean, easy to order. 
as a result, it's also affordable and sustainable. So in the past, you would send companies would send drone pilots, uh, drone operators, and the equipment halfway across the world. <laughs> but that's today simply crazy. We use the people there on close to the site. They speak the local language. They know their way around. Uh, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. So that's basically what we do. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, people talk so much about these marketplace technologies. I think Uber and Lyft come to mind for people. It's matching you with a, a driver in your area who's willing to take you from one place to another. And yeah. We've been called that or asked, are, <laughs> we, are we like the Uber for drones? And uh, yeah, I'd like to say yes. Yeah. So it's like if for some reason someone wanted to, you know, I'm in New York City, if someone needed to inspect kind of from your past career critical infrastructure out here and for some reason didn't have a drone and I did, then, you know, maybe they'd be able to use your platform to connect with me and then I could go and have a drone hover over their wind turbine or whatever. You might need some more sophisticated technology to do that, but as an example, a theoretical example. Absolutely. You're right. It's as simple as that. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, I think as early as when I was in college, you know, or starting college like a decade ago, I started to have some friends who were playing around with drones and stuff like that and, and got really good at it. But what are some of the advances in drone technology that have kind of happened over the past 10 years that have accelerated people's interest in using them for, you know, getting better data or better imagery? Is that mostly advances with drones or is it also equal part the fact that just more people have drones now and the cost has come down? Maybe it's a combination of both. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a combination. The prices have gone down, which means that there are more drones available. Mm. At the same time, the sensors and so on have developed substantially. So the data that you get is better and more worth. However, at the same time, because of all the sensors and the more sophistication of the drones, the flying is not always so simple. Sure. Especially in some of the more sophisticated applications, you need to know what you're doing. Mm. And this is not something that everybody who just buys an off-the-shelf drone can do. So that's one aspect. The The drone regulation and legislations is another aspect, of course. Interesting, yeah. Things are developing, but things develop slowly, of course. So there's still heavy, heavy bureaucracy and regulations partly hampering the operations. By this, I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's simply not so easy. You can't just, even for us as a commercial provider, we can't just simply tell someone to go and fly over there above people or critical infrastructure or something like that without making sure that the proper permits are in place. That makes sense, yeah. And that probably varies drastically from place to place too, I'm sure. Yes, and this leads again back to why Globy exists, because we make the life easier for the clients because we take care of all of this. You don't need to now go and talk to different drone vendors or and make sure that they have insurances in place and the permits in place. You contact us and it's a given that all of that is in place. Mm, so for folks that work with you on the provider side, people that have drones, you actually provide services to help make sure that you know they know what the regulations are or that you've taken the time to understand the regulations in local environments? Yeah, we, we don't work that much with freelancers. So we make sure that we have really professional drone pilots who have a registered business because of billing and all of that, insurances and so on. And we do have a rigorous list of requirements that they need to have in place. I mean, this is the only way to really guarantee that you have high quality data, which is something that we only accept. So. Yeah, that's the name of the game. That gives me a better sense. It's not kind of hobbyist type people, but it's people that are really like have a lot of skills around flying the drones that are building a business around providing this service to other people. And, and they want to work with you to... Yeah, it's a win-win-win situation. So on one hand, we help these guys scale their businesses because we have clients from all over the world calling and we help them get into inspections with drones that they 
couldn't even consider them having doing before. Mm. So they learn new things together with us as well. And of course, the same for clients then, because we can help them get the data that they never thought that they would get from places where they never thought that they would get into in the first place. Yeah, that's a good jumping off point. I'd love to just hear about, you know, some of the applications that you've seen in the last few months or been really excited about where you've been able to connect, you know, drone provider with companies that were interested in data. Let's start maybe with climate-based applications. Sure, you know I love those. <laughs> forestry is something that, that that is nothing new for you guys as well. But at the same line, forestry is big for us as well, both in, in, in forest management and carbon credits, obviously. Right, that makes sense. Huge growing business, obviously. Agriculture is one, plant health, water levels, soil condition, nutrient levels. All of this can be found. It's not only with the drone, but then, of course, with the sensors that come along with the drones. Interesting. What are some of those sensors look like and capable of doing? I'm not super familiar with stuff that's attached to drones. So the normal sensors, you talk about RGB sensors, which is basically the camera uh, taking images. That's the most common one. You have thermal sensors, you have multispectral, you have hyperspectral, measuring different wavelengths of light. And these give them multispectral, for example, commonly used for plant health, hyperspectral for actually species identification that you can distinguish which tree is in question and, and, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I came into this conversation not even knowing that there was more than a camera on a drone sometimes, so that's, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, and then again, that leads back to the earlier question of with the simple off-the-shelf drone, you cannot really do everything that needs, hence us focusing on the professional drone pilots. Right. Anyway, to continue, um, flood risk modeling. Yeah, interesting. Very important safeguarding communities, huge impact there. We're very much involved in that. Yeah, you know, incidentally, we're seeing a lot of conversation and policy change around flood insurance in the US, I think, you know, or insurance companies and people predict where the most flood risk is had to like redo their entire risk modeling for the first time in 20 years. And a lot of people's rates went through the roof, unfortunately. It's interesting that you say that because that's exactly what what me as a a sales guy I'm trying to target as well. On one hand, what we're already doing right now is for big international organizations like the UN and World Bank Mm. that are there to try to safeguard the communities and creating flood risk models in order to achieve that, early warning systems and so on. But there is definitely then also a market for the insurance providers to help them calculate the risk before damages happen. And of course, the damage assessment in the aftermath. So a lot of drone applications there. In general, since you asked what other applications is there, there's been um, quite an interesting increase in this kind of environmental project platforms. Mm. And what does that mean? That you have a lot of projects all around the world, and all of these projects are looking for financing and publicity to actually showcase not only the project itself, but the impact that they are making. Mm. And there are platforms that basically combine this data. There's uh, Explorer Land from Open Forest or Restore. These are friends with whom we already work where the combination is quite easy. These guys are doing impactful projects, but they lack the visualization from aerial point of view. And that's something where we then come in and we actually help take cool images from above, visualizing the impact that they're doing and the project itself, which then helps present the project on these platforms. So again, a win-win-win kind of situation there. Yeah, I think that in that, you know, that's one of the most important well, there's all kinds of important things that this is unlocking, but kind of that transparency and verification of, you know, being able to show and prove that 
this work that's being done on the ground is actually happening in the way that it's described, or in some cases, unfortunately, perhaps isn't. But yeah, that seems like one of the biggest unlocks and you all are at the center of accelerating the, the cost and availability of that. Absolutely. So I see this happening when we speak to clients actually calling and asking, can you go and fly here or there? Many of these come from the sustainable environment aspect where, well, a lot of the money didn't go where it was supposed to, or you couldn't really see the impact that you were hoping. And the reasons can be multiple, of course. But now with the help of drone technology, not only the drone technology, but the aspect that it's a local drone Mm. resource that you can easily task. So if you have a reforestation project somewhere that you from the US are are financing, for example, um, we can find a drone pilot who lives by lives nearby the place where the project is taking place. And this person can go and take aerial images in a very cheap manner, obviously, or affordable manner, um, of the status and give constant updates on how the project is going. So yeah, in general, having a mechanism in place for increased transparency is exactly what we're focusing on. Right. Whereas in the past, you just kind of, you got your certificate and you had to trust that, you know, this parcel of forest that you have somewhere in the world is being protected and isn't being, you know, even if the government is trying to its best to protect it, that doesn't mean that someone's not going to go on it illegally and cut down trees. So all kinds of challenges in the past that this can help uh, alleviate. Absolutely. And and I think it's safe to say that with the help of increased transparency, there will be more interest in get of, of organizations and people actually getting involved in these sustainable environmental projects. Right. You see the bang for buck, as they say, and you literally see it. So, yeah. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, just curious, you mentioned there's already 6,500 operators or so on the platform that you work with. Is that like, are there a few pockets of the world that aren't covered or, or is it pretty much global coverage? Like if you go through all almost 200 countries in the world, uh, maybe there's a few that you don't have folks operating in yet. This is always funny because I say that always it's 130 and then people always <laughs> ask, yeah, but is it, is it the whole world then or not? So. Well, we there are still um, countries, of course, where we don't have presence. We're getting there, of course. It's not sufficient for us, of course, to say that we have one person because then big yeah, countries. Simply, <laughs> yes, that doesn't help necessarily. But th- the plan is, and why I always say it's about this because we grow every week. So every week the number changes, it increases. More and more operators are coming, and sometimes client asks, "Can you send me a list of all the operators you have, and then we'll pick based on that where we want to do business." Sure. We've become quite good in finding the drone pilots. So we have a very capable operations department who, if we get a request where we don't have a strong presence, I mean, they'll get on the job and very quickly we'll have five, six different operators uh, that we can choose from. So I don't, well, been five months now with Globy, but I don't think we had to turn down a single project to not finding a drone pilot. Yeah, so some of it's also demand-led. It's like the minute that someone says, okay, I would love to, get some data in this region of the world, then you can go out and find find folks for them. On one hand, it's not so easy because, as I said, we do focus on the capable drone pilots. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can find someone with a hobby drone and so on, but then again, that doesn't bring the results that the client needs at the end of the day. So, Got it. That makes sense. It's definitely not as easy as just getting on the phone and <laughs> calling up a few people out of, the, out of the yellow pages. Yeah, no, no. It's taking a mobile phone picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. no, that makes sense. Um, and I guess while we were on the topic of applications, before we maybe transition to talk a little bit more about the business itself, you know, what are some other applications that are even potentially completely beyond climate? Because I always like to focus on climate and 
the technologies that are unlocking climate applications. But I'm just curious if there's other things that come to mind that maybe don't fit in that bucket. Well, if you want to think outside of using drones, also, we are thinking about that as well, because we, globally, we are a data provider. We collect data and then we hand it over. We don't do, we have some simple products that we can deliver from the data. But if you, let's take infrastructure as an example. The clients there are simply not looking for, give me 2,000 images, but they want a report. They want an analysis on what was the damage, for example, in the components that we inspected. Sure. So also we are, we are looking for partners with whom we can team up that can provide this analysis aspect. Right. And all kind of developments coming from that direction are, are interesting. We are involved in wind turbine inspections. We are involved in solar park inspections and, and telecom towers. But we don't do this alone. We always have a partner who can then actually crunch the data and, and come out with actionable intelligence. Yeah, that makes sense. The artificial intelligence and machine learning is obviously a, a big topic as well. We do work with these kind of companies because we provide what they need, and that's the data, that's the imagery. Yeah. The AIML company, there's a saying in the German language saying, alle kochen mit Wasser, meaning yeah. everybody cooks with water. Ich spreche auch Deutsch, also kenne ich es ein bisschen. So this means that all the AI ML companies are relying on large amounts of data or imagery to train their models. Right. And therefore, we're a perfect partner for that because we provide high-definition drone data of whatever type of images that you need. Right. So this is also something that we're constantly cooking. Apart from that, I mean, yeah, then the different AI ML applications, something that comes to mind is, for example, wildlife counting. So, and here there are companies out there that are creating AI ML-based models to help with that counting. This is all to do with biodiversity, to see taking drone imagery of a bird flock and then actually be able to count how many they are at this type of year versus last year and, and, and so on. So all of this work was done like in painful ways before, but actually with a manned helicopter and then hovering at sunrise and one of the guys counting with a finger, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> no, this is really how how it used to be done or is still being done in, in many places. So Yeah, well, the reason I ask is because I'm always excited about technologies that are useful to unlock certain climate applications like we talked about how this is going to be useful for folks that are doing conservation work or reforestation or what have you but it's also helpful when it's not when that isn't the only application like this is applicable for all kinds of different stuff like you might even you know i don't know down the line maybe it it's for all different types of infrastructure like it could be highways it could be dams it could be that type of stuff so i think that always makes it easier to scale any technology when the applications are include climate but aren't exclusively climate yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'll be honest with you, it's one of my challenges now on the sales side at Globy is to decide the priority, where should we go first? Because you could go all over the place on health, environment, infrastructure, energy, pick your industry, they could all benefit from drone data. So but probably the only constraint is, you know, how many people you have on the team and how many people are equipped to fly drones and <laughs> or your friends with a crowd droning platform that has drone pilots everywhere right? exactly yeah <laughs> yeah so on that note what are the what are kind of the expansion plans for 2023 like do you have a target for how many operators you want to have on the platform by the end of the year or what other metrics are you measuring as you grow the business now my ceo is listening and <laughs> i don't know what the target is to have operators. of course we want to grow because that is the one of the capitals that we have is the amount of operators but one of the targets definitely for this year is to um, increase the traffic on the platform so 
we came out with a subscription model for our business starting off this year. And uh, so right now, there's three ways that you can actually get the data from Globy. One is simply ordering a single order, saying, I, I need data in this location, get it done by the end of the month. And I want panorama pictures, for example. So Thank you very much. <laughs> um, the more sophisticated ones then cater to the subscription models, where when you if you know that you have repeated data needs from an area, and you know that it's on a longer period of time, then we have options for that, which then automatically makes your life easier and relatively cheaper, of course, if you subscribe. Yeah, and if you're using it a lot. And for us, the benefit is, of course, reoccurring revenue, we know what's coming and, and so on. And thirdly, we have an API that we can integrate. So we have already uh, partners that, in simple terms, they make a button on their own platform saying order drone data or include drone data. And then that's funneled directly to us over the API. And, and uh, this way we can work more effectively again. So in a nutshell, growing that aspect of simply making it easier to order data in larger quantities, that's definitely the goal for, for, for this year. And something that I've seen a lot of conversation about and a lot of kind of new companies, you know, fundraising or, or starting up is it's almost like a renaissance of like the satellite imagery data. You know, a lot of people are sending satellites into, into space. A lot of people are trying to make that more available to companies. When you think about all the different types of imagery that kind of you alluded this to that also like AI and ML companies want, are satellite imagery and drone imagery pretty complementary technologies, or is there some competition at times between, you know, like, okay, we're going to just buy it from a satellite imagery provider? I would say yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. There is, of course, competition. Maybe more <sighs> satellite guys don't feel bad about it, not what I'm going to say now, but <laughs> but maybe more on the, sat- the, the envious on the satellite side, because uh, we drone data is obviously becoming more easier to get and definitely cheaper Having said that, comes the complementary part, because I tend to like to say that it is definitely complementary, because, again, the difference is that, like, the normal good satellite data resolution is somewhere between 50 centimeters and 30 centimeters. That's already really good. Comes with a price tag, of course. Yeah. What we do with the drone is one to two centimeters. Sure. So, depending on what you want to do is we can get really down, down to the centimeter level. What the satellite companies cannot do but if you have a large area need, it makes no sense to start going it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks with a drone Right. if the resolution is not so important for you. Where it becomes really valuable when you combine these two. So if you have an area that you're not familiar with, you get a satellite image, a large one. Mm-hmm. And then from that, you try to pinpoint your points of interest or hotspots. Right. And that's where you then task the drone operator to go. Because then you don't need to do the whole area, but you actually go and focus your operations. And then you get the best of best of both worlds, basically. Yeah, I mean, as an outsider, that's where I get the most excited, is it seems like the combination of the two can be really powerful at times. Like if you, as you said, you know, if you need to do observation or kind of understand a larger area, satellites are getting a lot better and somewhat more affordable at being able to provide you with that kind of bird's eye view. But then if you need that on the ground, like tree level data, then drones are, drones are much more lend themselves better to that. One example could be the inspection of power lines, where it would be not cost-efficient to start flying thousands of kilometers with a drone. <laughs> sure. Quite difficult also with the legislation these days, but it would be much easier to get a larger image with a satellite, have a look at that, and see where you have potential risk areas, 
and then task the drone team to go and fly that area where then you will get the exact information of what type of tree it is and how close are they actually and uh, and everything else. Right. So um, again, the combination of the both makes the most sense. That sounds like an important application, incidentally. We have a lot of difficulties in the US with aging infrastructure, especially around things like power lines. So hopefully there's uh, someone listening in that says they're going to come in and pay you to facilitate that project. <laughs> I can speak to my former colleagues. Um, <laughs> they'll be happy to help. <laughs> We've talked a lot about, or a decent amount about, what drones are currently capable of and how that's changed over the past, say, 10 years. Are there things that you think, you know, aren't possible yet or are only slowly becoming possible with drones that, you know, maybe in the next 10 years will start to become commonplace? Like, what are the next advances in drones that people should be excited about? Well, there's quite a lot of talk about this. And basically, more or less everybody agrees what are the next big steps. So it's just a matter of time until we get there. Mm. A lot of it has to do with the simplicity of flying the drone. The drones are going to become smarter, sense and avoid systems more and more leading to actually one day becoming fully autonomous, where you don't even need the pilot anymore. You have your drone-in-a-box solutions that, again, cuts out the need of a, of a pilot. Communication is very important because you need to have the data link to control the drone and get the data. 5G will play definitely an important role there with the low latency times. Mm. But you know developments in SATCOMs and so on, when they become more easily affordable and so on, will revolutionize the use of drones as well in, in remote areas. Mm. The package delivery is going to be a big thing. Um, urban air mobility. So we're literally having drone taxis one day. One day. <laughs> <laughs> Not tomorrow. Um, and then the whole um, U-space or, or UTM, so uncrewed traffic management aspect, which deals with the regulations. Enhancements there, technologies related to that, the sense and avoid systems, what I already mentioned. Different softwares for risk analysis and all of that. All of this will come together. Got it. Yeah. I mean, considering how much it's changed in the last 10 years, I can only imagine that the next 10 will also be pretty powerful. So we'll see. We'll have to chat again in a year and again in 2025 and, and see what kind of progress we've made. <laughs> exactly. Let's see how right or wrong I was. <laughs> yeah. And we've also mentioned the regulatory environment a couple of times. I imagine that, um, you know, your footprint in Finland and Europe, what are just some are there interesting kind of policy changes coming where you live or are there interesting things that you're observing in some of the other markets where your business is super active? Just you know, give us some color for some of the things that's being discussed from a policy perspective. Between US and Europe, the way it has been working for a long time is definitely the FAA has been leading the way and the EU a little bit following and paying attention what the US has been doing first. But EU is gearing up quickly. The European Commission came out very recently with a drone strategy 2.0. So official policy paperwork stating a roadmap in improving drone application, the drone industries, um, obviously from an EU perspective. Mm -hmm. There's recently been unification of the drone regulations for your EU countries. And yeah, as I mentioned early in the beginning, on one hand, still in some countries, it used to be leveled on a national level. So for some countries, it became easier to fly. For some, it became a little bit more hassle to get the permits. But at least we have a unified model of flying now. There, the emphasis is, of course, on safety. Yeah. And that needs to be always first, and that's paramount. So no question about that. What are some of the main main kind of safety concerns that, that people talk about the most, or the, that are the most relevant? Because, you know, sometimes you think about airspace, but I'm sure that's not like the most, the only concern that people have. It's both ways. I mean, the drones with a camera can weigh 
multiple kilograms. And if you smash that into a person, bad things can happen, of course, or into infrastructure or, or whatever. At the same time, there's an airspace above you. There's emergency traffic flying. There's manned aviation flying. Mm. Huge potential catastrophes there. So that needs to be regulated. And technologies need to follow on, on that line. And then those need to work hand in hand with the drone hardware, of course, as well. Mm. I mean, there are definite roadmaps now and things are going definitely in the right direction. But it will be interesting to see how long it will actually take before it, it becomes more every day that drones are flying. You see it in the movies, right? Drones are crying and delivering packages everywhere. We're definitely not there yet. But um, yeah, in the, in the few years to come. Yeah, it's like you'll need a bunch more air traffic control centers like they have at the airport, making sure that, you know, no one's crossing paths or anything like that. Yeah, there are amazing, amazing companies out there that tap into cell tower information and and, and so on um, that I've seen. So uh, they're going to make advancements really, really quickly. And drone manufacturers are working together, of course, to make sure that the drones are more more safe and more capable in detecting dangers. Exciting. Yeah. Zooming out a little bit, it's not every day that I get the chance to to speak to someone in Sweden, or, or sorry, in Scandinavia, um, in Finland specifically. Companies in Sweden, don't worry. So. <laughs> yeah. What are some other, you know, when you think about climate technologies, climate solutions broadly, what are you seeing on the ground, you know, where you live, or perhaps when you visit other Scandinavian countries, like what are things that catch your eye and that you're excited about? Indirectly related is obviously the, um, the renewable energies, which is big for us. Those require inspections as well. Mm-hmm. I'm talking now about wind turbines or solar parks. So that's something that we are already involved with as well and tendency increasing, putting a lot of effort into that as well. And then what is really important for us is the um, disaster prevention and response activities. So again, going back to floods, storms, wildfires. Again, for two aspects. One, we can really help safeguard the communities and make a difference there. And then we can provide the data to help other organizations do the same. So multiplier effect here. Yeah, Um, it almost gets into kind of like climate adaptations, adapting to the changing climate. Yeah, and and the insurance, helping the insurance companies uh, get more involved and uh, giving them better data to work on is part of that as well. Excellent. All right. It's been great having you on, Mark. You to close out, always want to make sure that, you know, if there's folks that are interested in partnering with Globy or even working for Globy, who are some of the folks that you'd be most interested in hearing from and where should people keep an eye out for more updates? Well, we'd love for you to spread the word, obviously. So um, basically everyone who has multiple drone project requirements on a global scale, Mm. we're the perfect friend to have. Anyone who is shy of using drone data, has never used drone data and wants to try it out, we're the easy option to try and test it out. And of course, last but not least, if you're an investor listening in, our Series A is kicking off this spring. So um, we're gearing up for that right now. So uh, it's an opportunity to get involved uh, fairly early in the process. Nice. Yeah, I'm almost positive that there will be some. And if folks get in contact with me, I'll definitely be sure to, to refer them to you. And then last question for me is also, you know, I also have a lot of folks who listen to the podcast and read the newsletter who are interested in working for climate companies themselves. Are there int- opportunities to, to work for Globy? Are there specific types of roles that you're hiring for? Well, the easy answer to that is that if you're someone enthusiastic with and, and with drones and own a drone, <laughs> 
sign up as a crowd owner. There you go. More yeah. than more, more than welcome to do that. Apart from that, you can approach us on our webpage or social media. We do post uh, new job openings there. Great. If you follow Globy, we have a lot of friends in the droning community. There are a lot of people out there promoting drone for good projects and how to get involved in those. So uh, just start following us and uh, you'll be part of the network. All right. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to follow along in 2023 and, and see the progress that you all make and excited to very specifically follow the projects that you help facilitate. I think a lot of that imagery and, and data is fascinating. So yeah, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for the interest in, in what we do and uh, for allowing me to share that. So, Thanks for tuning in. So you don't miss the next episode on another cutting edge climate tech, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And to get even deeper, you can sign up for my newsletter on workweek.com. We'll see you soon.